All right, Saturday is National Radio Day, and earlier this week, the Museum of Broadcast Communications hosted a fundraising event called Rock Radio Revisited. It was a look back at the golden age of rock radio in Chicago. It starred our own John Records Landecker, Tommy Edwards, little snot-nosed Tommy, Bob Stroud, and a radio legend from New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., one of the first female black Latino rock DJs in the country, and that was Deanna Williams. Our host was WGN Radio's Wendy Snyder. I thought I would share some highlights of this event with all of you. We'll kick it off with some air checks of these radio legends, along with a celebration of rock radio in Chicago. From Chicago, I am John Landecker, and records truly is my little name. Don't be nervous, don't be rocky, you're a teenage guest of Jockey now. WLSELO and Living Thing from New World Record with John Records Landecker, chances to win tonight. Listen for the music radio touch tone at WLS. It's not a normal job. It is not a nine-to-five job. I like that. I don't think I could work a nine-to-five job. This is Larry Lujak. Animal Stories is more than just a feature on my morning WLS radio program. It's a serious responsibility. Well, here's a tragic uh, story to kind of close out the show this morning. A letter that we have received from this little girl in Palatine uh-huh. who writes, Dear Uncle Lair and Little Tommy, you are my last, my last hope. <laughs> last night, my $400 parrot went for a fly, <laughs> and I haven't seen him since. Oh, no, really? So February 10th of 1978, I was the music director at a Sarasota, Florida FM rock station. I remember dropping the needle down on the debut album from this new band. They were called Van Halen. And yes, the first song on the first side, Running with the Devil, wow. Right in your face, sounding great, what an awesome kick-ass band. And I really liked the way the guitar had been recorded. La Musica de Carlos Santana, Evil Ways, Fleetwood Mac, Don't Stop, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Ebony Moonbeam's here with you in the evening, Deanna Williams. Like to extend a very mellow vibe to everybody. Let's begin with you, John Landecker. Um, we, we talk about formats a lot, make it fast, play specific songs, new ones, old ones at specific times. You have to read the commercial because the advertiser is paying for you to read it. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say by, about that? Well, that's where you have all your fun is violating all those rules. <laughs> well, you certainly did. Well, not really. I mean, you know, that's an over-exaggeration. We, uh, not just myself, but uh, Tommy and everybody that was on the air at that time, we nudged the rules. We didn't actually break them. Yeah. yeah. Tommy, I feel a, free to jump in. We can I'm talk a, amongst all I, of our I, You know, here. I wasn't a delinquent. You know no, what I mean? No, 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 no. But you know what? As a listener, you sure sounded like one. Well, and that's, that made you sound cool, though. It sounded like, you know, screw authority. I'm going to do what well, I want. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. Yeah. Can I give you an example of how we broke the rules a little bit, but just kind of nudged them a little bit? When John did uh, Boogie Check, 
management came to us and said, we really like that, but we want it to be like 90 seconds to two minutes, no more than that. And so we came up with a closing, and I bet you all remember Fred Winston saying, stop it, stop it, stop this boogie check. Okay. So the way, the way we did that was we put two minutes of silence on a cart so the engineer would hit that cart for two minutes, right? I mean, it yeah. would just run for two minutes. Right. And then at two minutes, Fred's voice would come in and stop boogie check. Well, after a while, John forgot to cue the engineer to start <laughs> the two-minute tape, okay? So it got to be like three minutes, four <laughs> minutes, five minutes, and eventually Fred would come on and stop boogie check. Isn't that right? That is very true. Yeah. Yes. And the statute of limitations has run out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John's here. No, he's not going to do anything. He's not going to bother you. Now, Deanna, what about you? Um, you paved the way for all of the females that are on the air right now. The first female rock jock in the nation, I believe. Okay, that's so cool. Well, you know, first of all, Wendy, it's an honor to be here with you and these wonderful, incredible men, talented, legendary broadcasters. I want to start by saying that. Um, and we've identified that we have some history because I did radio in New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. So I feel like the outsider here because these are Chicago legends. But I want to thank each of you for coming out today. You had choices on what to do with your time and your money and decided today to support the Museum of uh, Broadcast and Communications. So thank you for your support. You're clearly radio lovers. And what a pleasure, Wendy, you know this because we were talking about this earlier. What an honor and pleasure to be on the radio. I take it very seriously. I'm celebrating currently my 50th anniversary in radio. Woo! So, and I did rock radio in the late 70s. I grew up in New York, in the Bronx, and Harlem. I did not grow up with the music that I wound up playing on WMAL, WRQX. So for me, it was a bit of culture shock. I mean, as a young girl, I fell in love with Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Okay, so I was very familiar with the Beatles, but what I later learned, there was a whole genre of music that I wasn't familiar with. And my very first show, I fell out of the studio after five hours. This is when we had to program our own music. I literally like collapsed out of the studio because I didn't know all the music. I was just putting things together and praying that it sounded good. Uh, but yes, it was an honor back in the early 70s to be a voice, a woman in radio. And, uh, but there were women before me, so I want to salute the women before me as well. And I love rock. I love rock. That's what happened to me is I fell in love with a whole new genre when I went on the air. Although thinking that rock was your first radio venture and it wasn't really your native music, I started at an AM Christian ethnic station. So I played Christian rock and engineered a Croatian show. So I know how to say like the phone number in Croatian. Nula is nine, I believe. Any Croatians out there? <laughs> I think I'm right. All right, Stroud, what about you? Um, you I was just talking to uh, my sons yesterday about how you could take the format of radio 
and turn it, be so personable within that format. It was, it, it's hard staying tight, bright, and light, isn't it? I, I think for me, I just drew on my love and my passion for both music and radio and just got on the radio and did just that. Uh, I didn't have a shtick, per se, uh, like so many did. I, I have a comfort zone that's hard for me to get out of, and that's just being me. Uh, so I was just able to take my love for both of those mediums, radio and music, and luckily make a career out of it, if that means yeah. anything. All right, um, let's talk about why you thought, why do you think Top 40 Radio works, John Landecker? Well, I think you have to go back to the era in which it was big, and in that era there were minimal choices for, say, a teenager to access Top 40 or rock music. FM hadn't made inroads yet, so in Chicago, there was either WLS and WCFL that made for competition. Uh, the better the competition, the better it was for the listener because it forced people at both stations to come up with ideas, have more fun, hire the right personalities, and that was executed on the air, and there was an excitement to it. You know, there was, uh, it wasn't just the music, it wasn't just the personalities, it was a bit of everything. And it was at the right time and the right place for the right listeners. And now, hey, I mean, classic rock, let's see, light rock, um, stagnant rock, I mean, it's just, there's endless slices of the pie, but not then. All right, you are listening to excerpts of the Museum of Broadcast Communications' recent event, Rock Radio Revisited, with John Records, Landecker, Tommy Edwards, Bob Stroud, Deanna Williams, and our own Wendy Snyder. And there's more after this on 720 WGN. All right, Saturday is National Radio Day, and you're listening to excerpts from the Museum of Broadcast Communications' recent event, Rock Radio Revisited, with John Records, Landecker, Tommy Edwards, Bob Stroud, Deanna Williams, and Wendy Snyder. John Records Landecker talks about a bit he put together for his listeners. In case people don't know, um, there was an era in the United States when it was okay to make fun of the president. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the president at the time was Nixon, and the event that was going on was Watergate. And I came up with the idea for a song called Make a Date to the Watergate, which was done to Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side, which is a song that WLS wasn't even playing. But I can't see who's out there in the audience, but that track was put together because of a production engineer named Alan Rosen. He's here. He's here. I can't see. I can't see (laughs) And it's not because of my age. It's because the lights are off. So anyway, (laughs) if if you play enough of it, You'll hear a loop, okay? Allie took what, uh, uh, Walk on the Wild Side and cut, we cut it along a bass line so that when I came back to the chorus of who was ever going to say do, 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 it matched. So Allie's and Tommy were the production people. I just had the idea. Miami FLA, a campaign across 
asked the USA, let me make this perfectly clear, let me stick it in your ear. They said, hey babe, make a date with the Watergate. My fellow Americans, I said, hey honey, make a date with the Watergate. And Martha Mitchell says, do, 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 do. Re-election committees never ever give it away. Everybody has to pay and pay. Let me make this perfectly clear. It can't be denied. My fellow Americans, I've got nothing to hide. Say, ain't it great? I said, hey, Sparrow, make a date with the Watergate. I said, hey, Joe, make a date with the Watergate. Yeah. Martha Mitchell, she said, story that I think you'll find amusing. Uh, so that went on the air and it became very popular. And WLS at the time was owned by ABC. And ABC also had a television station that was up for renewal in Florida. And ABC executives in New York felt that if the Nixon administration found out about this song on one of their ABC-owned radio stations, they would interfere with the license of the renewal of the TV station in Florida. So management yanked it. Then Nixon resigned. Then the song came back on. <laughs> and it was very popular. And the station said, let's press 10,045 RPM records, which they did. And I'll never forget it. The thrill of opening up a box, holding up a 45 RPM record, Make a Date with the Watergate, recorded by John Records Loudecker. <laughs> Bummer. Oh, yeah. This is what it's like in the big time. They had misspelled my last name. So, thousands of tiny little stickers were made. And people were like, eh, eh, eh. So, there you go. From the highs to the lows. That's the way it works. 
All right, we're going to continue with John Records, Landecker, and then we're going to go back to Tommy, and then we'll talk to Deanna. And when and you Bob go to Bob well. the next time, could you call him Bob and just instead of Stroud? Hey, Stroud. Hey, what's Stroud. going on? I don't. I, I know. Go back and forth with calling you Stroud and Bob. No, I just mean it's part of being friends. And that's a- all. At least you're not calling me Surratt, which most people do. <laughs> Bob Surratt, I've been listening to you forever. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, so make a date with Watergate, and please let's talk. Um, remember this. Let's play this clip of Boogie Check, Boogie Check, ooh, ah. Once again, the boy in the box who is I searches for that alleged humorous phone call. Who is you? Good evening. Saying good evening, Negatory Big Ben, over. What is? You know what this song is? I know what this song is. I don't know who's playing this at their home, but I know what this song is. It's by Alfred E. Newman. It's Bob Boswell. Bob, 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 Bob Boswell. Right. Isn't that Alfred E. Newman? Right. And the song is called It's a Gas? Right. Did, did you? Uh, I, am di- I am divining it. Wait a minute, it's coming to me. You got that from Dr. Demento. Right. Hey, John knows all. WLS, boogie check. Hey, John, guess where I am? <laughs> Who are you? Hey, Tony, we down here in Tennessee. Tennessee? You calling me from Tennessee now? Yeah. You a good old boy in Tennessee? Yeah, I Are you, are you, wait a minute now, are you grinning like a jackass eating briars, caught in the act, sort of like a suck egg dog? Damn boy. Hey, I know it all, I know it all. WLS Boogie Check. Yeah, what's your favorite sport? My, I don't have any favorite sport. How about baseball? Baseball, lovely sport. WLS Boogie Check. Hey, John, this is Yogi saying goodbye to you. Hey, creativity, creativity, I got creativity on my radio. Yeah! Stop! Wait a minute. I can't take this. Stop it! Down for it, down for it. I can't take it. Terminate this boogie jacket. That was the closing, yeah. Okay, I will admit I have stolen from you, John Records Landecker. When I worked late nights on the Loop Radio... We did boogie check. Really? We just called it unscreened phone calls because that's, that's really all it was. That is really all it was, yeah. It was so exciting. I loved that. Um, boogie check, boogie check, ooh, ah, the, the open. That came um, after boogie check had been on for a while. It was very popular. Uh, and one of the things we always did at WLS, not just me, but Bob and Tommy, we would make appearances at high schools for whatever reason. Um, and I'll never forget, it was the Team of the Week Award to Addison Trail High School. And I always carried a tape recorder with me and I had to walk in from the gymnasium entrance to a podium that was in the middle of the gym. And as I walked in, this spontaneous cheer <laughs> erupted, boogie check, boogie check, ooh, ah, boogie check. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? This is fantastic. So I got him to shut up, start the tape recorder, and do it again. But I had nothing to do with that. Well, it was fantastic. Um, legendary. I'm sitting up here with legends today. Are you loving this? How about it? I want to get back to Tommy Edwards now. Um, 
I worked at Brookfield Zoo, and I worked on the uh, authentic steam engine train, and I was a tour guide. And Jimmy worked in the roundhouse, and he had animal stories blasting every morning. Every morning. And I wanted to talk to you because you just never knew where someone was listening to you, and you guys were rocking Brookfield Zoo, which is appropriate for animal stories. Yeah, I've heard, since, since that time, I've heard from people who said, I grew up listening to you on the school bus because the driver would have animal stories on. And there was a time when there were companies on the south side and over in Indiana that called the management of the radio station demanding that animal stories be moved from 9.45 a.m. and played earlier in the hour because their employees were still out in the car listening to animal stories and not showing up for work on time. And we politely said, or at least management said, that they had called and they said, look, we really appreciate what you're saying here, but we're going to keep playing it at 9.45. And you recall, Larry recorded, we recorded it, and Larry played it back at 6.45 the next business day. But um, animal stories, and there's one other thing that I wanted to mention when I heard that uh, kid from Tennessee I talked to the promotion director back in those days. His name is G. Michael Donovan. Yeah. And I, uh, I called him the other day. He's living out in the desert in California, and he's, he's wonderful. He's playing tennis every day, and he's happy as can be. Anyway, so I told him I was coming here, and I said, you know, help me remember some of the craziness that was going on at WLS. And we were both saying... There was so much creativity. There was so much just outrageous behavior, but it was all within the boundary of good fun. He said that he had an office that overlooked Michigan Avenue, and Fred Winston came in, and he had a bullhorn there. (laughs) (laughs) You know what this is. And then Fred would go over and open up the window overlooking Michigan Avenue with the bullhorn and say, attention, attention, citizens. The danger is over. You can now return to your homes. <laughs> and then he'd shut the window. But the, regarding the power of the radio station, Donovan told me there was a time when a small high school down in Alabama, I think it was, or Georgia or Arkansas, sent pictures of the senior class to the radio station and asked us, to pick the king and queen of the homecoming (laughs) festivities. And so Donovan said that he had a good time doing that. But, uh, you know, he said, I think it's uh, the third guy on the right, uh, you know, and there's a girl over here and all this stuff. And so he sent it back. But he says, do you realize the power of that radio station? You're listening to the Museum of Broadcast Communications recent event, Rock Radio Revisited, with John Records Landecker, Tommy Edwards, Bob Stroud, Deanna Williams, and Wendy Snyder. And there's more after this here on 720 WGN. Saturday's National Radio Day, and you're listening to the Museum of Broadcast Communications recent event, Rock Radio Revisited, with John Records Landecker, Tommy Edwards, Bob Stroud, Deanna Williams, and hosted by Wendy Snyder. Here's a classic animal story with Uncle Lair and little snot-nosed Tommy. Well, here's a tragic uh, story to kind of close out the show this morning. Letter that we have received from little girl in Palatine Uh who writes, Dear Uncle Lair and little Tommy, you are my last, my last hope. 
Last night, my $400 parrot went for a fly, <laughs> and I haven't seen him since. Oh, no, really? Please help me get him back. I'm offering a $75 reward if someone captures him, and $20 for a sighting. What's its name? Doesn't say. Says he's mostly green, about 10 inches high, with yellow around his eyes. He was lost on... Juniper Drive between Hicks and Rowling Roads in Palatine. Please see what you can do. Maybe if you ask people to watch out for him, someone will care enough to call me. Now, normally, we don't deal with lost pets, and we're not going to anymore <laughs> after this. I mean, in a city this size, you know, there's in excess of 7 million people in the metropolitan area, little Tommy. Probably an equal number of pets. We haven't got time to uh, mess with lost pets because there's so, so why are we doing this one? Oh, I felt sorry for the little girl and besides uh, it's not every day that a bird this valuable is lost as a $400 parrot. Oh yeah. Frankly I feel anyone who is foolish enough to spend $400 <laughs> on a parrot deserves what they get but that's uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, mingling with something. Maybe it a could crow have, or something. Might have been why it uh, went out for a fly and escaped little Tommy. Uh, a lot of action there in Palatine. Out of, out of <laughs> sexual frustration. This is uh, the last time we're going to do a lost pet because we don't have time to be reading lost dogs and cats all the time. Yeah. She says she called the Palatine police, but they're no help. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's the trouble with the police. You know, when something really important comes along like this, they're always busy uh, dealing with uh, trivial stuff like rapes and murders and drug pushers got no time for $400 parrots. Yeah. They're never around when you need them. Well, what are they supposed to do? If somebody sees this parrot, what are they supposed to do? Uh, they should call you at home. <laughs> <laughs> Little Tommy. And I'll give you this girl's uh, address and her number here. No, anybody out there in Palatine sees this here $400 parrot, I call us here at the station and we'll pass the information along. <laughs> Oh, round of applause. Bringing back the memories, that is for sure. Awesome. All right, uh, we have a couple more questions. Deanna, we're going to go to you. Do you have a behind-the-scenes or behind-the-mic story to share with us? I've worked with so many incredible people, and if I go back now to my rock days, my program director was a gentleman named Phil DeMarne, who I have been looking for ever since. Because I want to thank him for giving me an opportunity as a black woman to do a genre typically where you didn't hear black men or women playing rock music. And I had just left New York. I had been working in New York with Frankie Crocker, who's a legendary program director in black radio. He's no longer physically with us. But I had worked at WBLS 107.5 in New York. So Phil knew that, and he was like, if you can do New York radio, you can do rock radio, you can come to Washington, D.C., and you can execute this format. And I'm grateful to him forever for having trust and belief in me as a broadcaster. He gave me tremendous confidence as a radio personality because he was right. If you are truly uh, committed to music and community, which I still am, it doesn't matter what the format is. You can execute it. And Wendy, we're doing talk. I'm currently doing talk radio now, which is a departure from 
music, right. which is what I've done the majority of my career. But I'm grateful to every production uh, director, imaging directors. You know, uh, you know, we were talking about how you met your wife. Your wife was a receptionist. Uh, and she told me, too, that when she first saw you, that you were not so polite. Um, but look, oh, all oh. these many years later, and, th <laughs> and three children, um, you know, you managed to survive. Okay, she said okay, you were okay, a bit okay. of a, well, she didn't say it, but I'll say it, a bit of an <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, Marilyn? A little bit. He was a little rude. But that rudeness turned into love and family and uh, eternal friendship. So yeah, I've worked with great people. And, and my recollection when I first started working at WMAL, it was an ABC-owned and operated station. So for me, I was very honored that I was working at a network-affiliated station. And that was big. And then the people that I work with, they knew that I didn't know. But they worked with me, and they supported me, and eventually, you know, I became one of the, the, the jewels and the crown of WMAL because I put my heart, my soul, everything into playing the music, sharing stories, and think about it, why you're here today. You know, we become, your, we become part of your family. You hear our voice, we're, we're talking to you, we're giving you information, we're talking about the artists. So-and-so is coming to town. Oh, by the way, it's gonna rain today, so make sure that you, know, you take your raincoat and your umbrella. We, we become such an integral part of people's lives. And so, I mean, I know I'm all over the place, but I, I've loved, with the exception of maybe a few people that I have worked with in my entire <laughs> radio career, and they know who they are. <laughs> But I have love and affection for, first of all, radio, and then the, the community, the audience, the people. Even to this day, I'll be in the supermarket minding my business, running in to get something quick, and people will stop me and say, oh, I've loved listening to you on the radio. And, and how about the ones that say, I, like, what happened to you, Wendy? I grew up listening yeah. to you, or I, you know, like what you were saying earlier. We're part of people's lives, and what an honor, what a, what a distinct honor and privilege it is to be behind that mic playing music so for true. the people. I'm telling you, you are a ray of sunshine, Deanna. You really are. It is such a pleasure to meet you. Bob Stroud, I'll go to you. Do you have a behind-the-scenes <clears throat> moment or a behind-the-scenes, a behind-the-mic moment you'd like to share? Well, let me just say that in the 80s, I worked at The Loop with Steve and Gary and Johnny and Kevin, Danny Bonaducci. So behind the scenes, <laughs> yeah, there's a few of those. I would think most of those, though, uh, came out in front of the curtain within time. There was hardly anything that was kept behind the scenes back in that era because that's what that radio was all about at the loop was everything is out there for you to hear all of the wildness and the sickness that's going on here we're gonna let you hear it so there wasn't too much going on behind the scenes there um, Boy, I, it was really dysfunctional at the loop wasn't it a it dysfunctional very, family <laughs> it was very dysfunctional and I think that's what made it so successful is people love listening on somebody else's dysfunctionality and not their own um, 
When I, when I first got to Chicago in 79, I, I wasn't hired as a jock. I was hired as the production director at WMET, which was news to me because I'd barely made a commercial at the radio station I worked at in Florida, and this is how I got the job, and I pretty much kind of learned on the job. They were so desperate to have a production director at WMET. Yeah, we'll take this guy. He's made two spots. Hire him. So, um, one of my earliest joys of being in the business was getting caught up in something that we don't really have anymore in this business, and that is radio wars. I know there were radio wars back in the 60s between LS and CFL, and probably into the early 70s as well between those two AM giants. Back when I got to Chicago in the late 70s and early 80s, we had a huge radio war between WMET and The Loop. And we were constantly trying to one-up each other. Well, I think it was the winter of 81, The Loop went on the air with something they called Loop Songs. Does anybody remember that? Does that sound familiar? Basically what it was is they would play a montage of songs, seven of them, and they were about a second long. So you heard boop, 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 boop. And if you could identify those seven songs, you would win $500,000 if you were caller 10 or whatever it was. They were going to stretch this thing out over the winter book. So it was going to be 12 weeks of this. They were going to give away $500,000 in this Loop Songs contest. And we at MET thought, how can we destroy this? <laughs> I know we can identify the songs and go on the air and give the audience the answers <laughs> so that this 12-week promotion lasted about three. And it was my job to sit in the production studio and figure out what those songs were. And then we'd go on the air and say, hey, you know, there's songs on the radio these days that a lot of people are really interested in and would really like to hear a lot of. Here's one of those songs. Next hour, here's another one of those songs. Next hour, here's another one of those songs. And then we'd tune over to the loop to find out how they were reacting to it on the air. And once we got to Loop Songs 3 and we had given away the answer to all seven songs, Mitch Michaels said, we're going to play loop songs in about five minutes, and I got a feeling we're going to get a winner this time. <laughs> so I, I took great pride in blowing up that half-million-dollar promotion at the loop. Way to go, Bob Stroud. Radio Wars, there was nothing like it. You're listening to the Museum of Broadcast Communications' recent event, Rock Radio Revisited, with John Records, Landecker, Tommy Edwards, Bob Stroud, Deanna Williams, and hosted by Wendy Snyder. And there's more after this on 720 WGN. All right, Saturday, it's National Radio Day, and you're listening to the Museum of Broadcast Communications' event, Rock Radio Revisited, with John Records, Landecker, Tommy Edwards, Bob Stroud, Deanna Williams, and hosted by Wendy Snyder. I was off stage and asked John Landecker to tell the story about when actor John Travolta came to town. So, in the 70s, as we all know, WLS played the hits. 
John Travolta was on Welcome Back Cotter as Vinnie Barbarino. He also had a record contract with RCA. He had a single out, a 45. He was promoting it. He came to Chicago. He came on my show at night. And then the next day, uh, we went to the Woodfield Mall. Um, and there were allegedly, we were supposed to, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 people, whatever it was. But, you know, if you've ever been to the Woodfield Mall, and I assume it's the same, there's a big atrium that goes all the way up. And there were 30,000 screaming teenage girls there. And... Um, to see you? Yeah. I didn't know. I was surprised because I didn't even know who John Travolta was. No. Yeah, see me, that's right. Anyway, uh, I had a tape recorder going once again through the entire incident, and it was big. Um, we entered with uh, Woodfield Security, and you could hear this crowd of teenagers go crazy, and the crowd starts pressing in on us, and you hear one of the security guards go, my gun, my gun, my gummies, gun is coming out of my holster. Uh, we get into the middle of this sea of humanity, and just listen to people scream and then got the hell out of there <laughs> and I uh, played this tape back on the air many many times and I will say that John is the kind of person that does not forget who you are uh, I accompanied my daughter Amy to the Emmy Awards about seven years ago a show she was on on um, Amazon called Transparent was nominated for some awards and John was also the executive producer Oh, thank you. I'll tell her that. And uh, John was the executive producer and also played a character on the uh, limited series about the OJ trials, fictional. And they were nominated. So um, during a break afterwards, we're at this what's called the Governor's Ball, which is a big-ass dinner, and everybody starts schmoozing. And I'm left alone at my table, so I decide, what the heck, I'm going to go walking around. And I find the FX table, and I see John there, and I happen to know one of the FX uh, executives, so I walked up and I just said to him, behind John's back, I believe he knows me. And the FX, the FX executive said to John's back, John, do you know a John Landecker? And his head shot up, he turned around, he grabbed my face, he kissed me on the lips, and... You lucky dog. Hey. It wasn't the first time. And, and his daughter, uh, Ella, and his wife, who has passed, has passed away in the past couple of years, were both there. And he proceeded to tell them exactly everything that I just told you about the Woodfield Mall. That's so, amazing. That's yeah. a great story. This question is for Tommy. I mean, obviously, your career is extremely uh, illustrious. And uh, during your time as a program director at WLS, of course, you ushered in the whole music radio format. And, and we just I'm just kind of curious to see how that all started. And uh, really, your time as a program director at WLS. At the music really radio large, part? Yeah, music radio part. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, WLS was owned by ABC. And... Cousin Brucey worked at WABC in New York, and the program director there was a genius named Rick Sklar. And I got to know Rick when I worked in uh, New York, 
I worked at an FM station, and he had called me up and, and offered me uh, a job doing the all-night show there. And, and then the FM station said, no, you're not leaving. And they you know, said they'd get some sort of a legal issue, and so I backed off. But nonetheless, that's where I met him. And then when I was programming uh, WLS for a brief time, just about maybe eight, nine, ten months, something like that, um, I went to New York, and I sat in Rick's office, and we were talking about some things. And at that time, WLS was the rock of Chicago. And it sounded great. It had a great jingle to it and all that. But the music that we were playing back then was not really rock. I mean, there was a lot of pop music. There was all kinds of different music. And WABC in New York was music radio, WL, uh, WABC. And I loved that. And I told Rick, I said, this is really a great idea. And he said, it probably would work in Chicago. And I said, you know something? I think it will. So I called um, the morning guy, Charlie Van Dyke, who was on the air. And I told him, uh, starting right now, stop the rock of Chicago jingles and start saying music radio WLS. And by the time I got back to Chicago, the promotion department had already come up with the visual, the logo visual and all that. And then it was just a matter of time to get some jingles cut. But that's how it all happened. I want to know who were your favorite DJs and maybe pushed you into being in the business? Um, I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. My biggest influences uh, were a guy named Lee Allen, but also somebody that you're probably familiar with, Joel Sebastian, who, uh, who worked in Detroit before he uh, came to Chicago eventually. And also, uh, I have to mention from WCFL, Ron Britton, who King was- King The King B was the King B as far as I was concerned. Uh, I grew up in Kansas, and uh, there was a guy there in Topeka on the radio named uh, Tony Curtis. And he said, hi, everybody, I'm Tony Curtis, Curtis K for Curtis, Curtis for K-Top, because he worked at KTOP, K-Top. And I thought, this is the smoothest guy I had ever heard. I mean, I was only like 16, 17, 18 years old, and, and I thought, this, is, this guy is great. Found out later that he went to, he was going to law school there at Washburn University in uh, Topeka. And uh, he got a job in television. And he was on WIBW television. And then he joined the CBS television network. And he came to Chicago. And he was a giant hit with Walter Jacobson. His real name was Bill Curtis. But while he was in, while he was in law school, he was Tony Curtis, spelled with a K, a K. We may K for Curtis, Curtis for K-Top. Wow. Deanna? I think you heard me earlier. I yeah. said Cousin Brucie early as a young child, and later the first woman that I heard on the radio that really inspired me. Her name is Vi Higginson. She was on WLIB FM. Frankie Crocker was the program director. I referenced him earlier as well. And uh, I, it, it was 30 years would go by before I was hosting an event in Harlem, and one of the honorees was Vi Higginson. So I had, I had a moment, I had a real fangirl moment where I had an opportunity to say thank you, Vi, because I really patterned myself after her style. I mean, you heard my air check. It was, uh, hello, I was playing rock music, but it was very laid back, very 
family, very, I don't know, I want to say sensual. Sexy? Yeah. Sexy. sexy. I said sensual, John. I said sensual. But it was a very familiar kind of like, I'm your best friend. I'm in your house. We're, we're chit-chatting. I'm in the kitchen with you. But Vi Higginson is where I got that from, that style, that familiar, intimate style. So, yeah, Cousin Brucie. Uh, also, WWRL, which was the black AM station. I listened to that as well. But the signal, not so good. The station was based in Queens. But I listened to all those legendary DJs at that time as well. And Bob? I, I uh, told this story to Rick Kempfer, uh, who put it in the Illinois Entertainer here in the month of August, but it's such an important story to me because it's the day my life changed, and I remember this day like it was yesterday, September of 1962, sixth grade. It had just started. A friend of mine in class said, and this is in Kalamazoo, Michigan, have you heard this station WLS in Chicago? They've got this rock jock on at night, Dick Biondi. He's wild. You should listen to him. Celebrating National Radio Day, that was the Museum of Broadcast Communications event, Rock Radio Revisited, with radio legends John Records, Landecker, Tommy Edwards, Bob Stroud, Deanna Williams, and hosted by Wendy Snyder. For more information on that event and any upcoming events and exhibits, visit museum.tv. All right, top stories from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom are next here on 720 WGN.